Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf and Gavin Shaw here. And Gavin, there was a game tonight, but I'm not too concerned with that. I'm most concerned with the fact that Julius Randle is an NBA All-Star. And that was just about the only good thing to happen tonight. The Knicks lost to the Warriors, to be fair, in, in the return of their fans to the Garden. That was pretty cool. But it was a slog of a game, Alex. The final deficit was eight. The Knicks were in it until the final two minutes. Credit to some stingy defense to start the fourth quarter. But this game was messy in all respects. The Knicks were under 40% from the field, struggling all night long. Their young guns, R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly, probably their worst combined game of the season. Uh, but Obi Toppin showed some flashes, so there, there were there were some positives. We'll find them and more in this edition of Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win, or do you win because you're happy? Ask Julius Randle that question. At only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in this episode. Spoiler alert, I may have said his name already. Because, Gavin, you know, there is a Knicks loss to talk about. Uh, 114 to 106 to the Warriors. We're probably going to save that for, like, conservatively our last segment of this episode. Because <laughs> it's miserable to talk about. It was just a crappy game. You know, they only lost by eight, but realistically, they, this is just another one of those games where I thought the officiating was bad enough that they could have won the game. Um, but we'll get that to that in a minute. The important news is that the Eastern Conference All-Star Reserves were announced today, and Julius Randle made the team for the Knicks. He joins Jalen Brown from the Celtics, James Harden from the Nets, Jason Tatum from the Celtics, Zach Levine from the Bulls, Ben Simmons from the Sixers, and Nikola Vucevic from the Magic on the Eastern Conference All-Stars as reserves. Uh, that goes with the starters. Oh, God, I don't have that in front of me. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Joel Embiid. Giannis. Uh, Giannis and Bradley Beal, right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. So that's who Julius Randle joins, illustrious company. Uh, I would say objectively i think randall really did everything that he needed to do to make this game and i'm really glad that he got rewarded gavin i have a mini rant to go on in a second but i'll let you praise randall first before i rain hellfire on a few people that i find annoying (laughs) i mean i'll 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 drop i'll drop the bit about always being the the biggest julius randall fan in the world for some earnestness i mean I, i everyone knows this but i was the big advocate for him getting dealt. I just did not see it with him his first season. And he he shut me up. He shut up a lot of people on Nick's Twitter, in the Knicks media, probably some in the Knicks front office. Um, and every team in the NBA that likely did not offer a first round pick for him, because I think if someone had, he would currently be an all-star on, a, on another roster. And he, he turned himself into one of the like 30 to 35 best players in the NBA so far this season. I, I don't I don't see how anyone could consider that controversial. And at least um, by all-star standards, he was nominally one of the top 24 players in the league so far this year, improving every aspect of his game, showing up in incredible shape, uh, turning himself from, frankly, one of the, the worst, like even like mid-volume three-point shooters in the NBA throughout the entirety of his career to one of the best in the entire league which is, is nuts to do in one offseason. Um, everything about his decision-making got better. And the fact that he did it without the infrastructure around him dramatically changing, like he still has to play with Alfred Payton. He still, I know RJ is good, but off-ball RJ is not an asset. Um, he still has to play with RJ. He still has to play with Mitch clogging the paint, only being able to be around the rim. 
Like I, I keep using this phrase and I'll continue to the degree of difficulty for Randall out of every single star in the league. Jeremy Grant has it similar outside of that. I don't know if anyone has as tough of a job on a night to night basis as Julius Randall. I'll, I'll amend that. I think what Dame Lillard does in Portland is insane. Um, but there, the point is there are very, very few stars who are, and people who made this game that have to deal with what Julius Randall has to deal with. And the fact that he's put up great stats and has done so efficiently and has done so with, I mean, obviously the 44-point game against Atlanta, but by and large, his season has been defined by consistency over anything else. Again, credit the Knicks coaching staff, credit Kenny Payne, credit Tibbs for getting him right. But ultimately, the credit goes to Julius Randle. The dude just put his head down and grinded this entire offseason in, in a way that very few people in the world are capable of. And he, I mean, he, he got a well-deserved reward with this all-star break. And we, we can talk about it. I'm going to let you go on your rant, Alex. We can talk about this a little more after, but, but what a big deal for a Knicks franchise that, again, whose reputation has just been in the gutter around the league to get, uh, I'm going to say it, like, even though he's only been on the team for two years, nominally a homegrown all-star in the sense that he was on the team, he struggled, and he got much, much, much better under the guidance of the Knicks. Yeah, I, you know, and, and, there was a great moment before I get on my rant. There's a great moment during the broadcast. I mean, there was a number of them, which we'll probably, we could probably talk about that in the next segment, like to continue skirting, talking about the, the game itself. But one of my favorite moments was uh, when Kenny Payne got up, uh, they intentionally chose him to be the, the after halftime interview with Rebecca Harlow. And he just made comments of like, I'm so proud of Julius. Like, it's surreal for me to like, you know, have this, this guy that, you know, I, I first started coaching as an 18 year old kid who I talked to back then about his goals and ambitions now to see him, you know, reach one of the highest pinnacles of his sport, you know, and to be with him again, is just very cool. And whatever it was, it was just a really, like, if you, if you haven't seen it, we, we did, we clipped that on, on the Strickland. It was, it was a nice little, uh, nice little quote from Kenny Payne there, but that sort of encapsulated it for me. It's like Julius Randall, you know, through all of it, I, I said this on our, on our locked on now thing, uh, you know, little reaction video for locked on NBA after, after Randall made it like, you know, Randall, we definitely laughed at his, you know, declaration last year that he wanted to be an all-star and, we all look silly for it now. And I'm like happy to look silly. Like he's, he's the one who's laughing now. Like, cause he is, he did everything that he had to do to become an all-star and then some, and like is legitimately, I, I don't think you can make a case for, I mean, there's what 12 spots on each all-star team, which is stupid by the way, there should be 15. Um, I, it, that would nullify a lot of the snub talk and stuff, but I think the NBA enjoys the snub talk so much that they would never, add another spot just because then people wouldn't have anything to complain about anymore. Um, but like, you know, he, he really has proven himself to be, I, I think easily one of the top 25 players in the NBA right now, if you were going to, if you're going to rank them all out. Um, I think he's in that category. Like he just does that much for this team. I think without him, the Knicks would be, I don't know, a, probably looking kind of similar to like the Timberwolves who they just faced. Uh, the other night, like maybe even worse, like they might be legitimately one of the worst teams in the league right now, if not for Julius Randle, who has them playing at about 500 basketball. So that's awesome. Uh, this rant that I want to go on, I'll try to make it quick, but I, I got a couple bones to pick. And, you know, granted, these people got ratioed on Twitter. So how much more do I really need to pile on? I, I don't really care. Um, Kurt Helen, who's the I, I assume I'm saying that right. He's the lead NBA writer and managing editor at NBC Sports um, sent out this tweet earlier tonight, which was one of the stupidest tweets I've ever read in my life. Um, let me just pull it up here. The coaches voting for Randall and Levine over deserving players such as Adebayo, Butler, and Middleton show they've leaned heavily on this season and not the playoffs or last season. To me, last playoffs have to be considered as a big factor in picking oh, a team. I, I had not heard that before. Now that's a that's a cake. I can't believe you missed it. He is sitting with a very pretty ratio of five hundred seventy-two comments, uh, one point five thousand 
uh, retweets, but 1,490 of those are quote tweets and only 200 likes on this tweet. <laughs> uh, that's just a horrible take. I, I just want to be like, stop complaining. Like, what? what I, I'm <laughs> sorry. A like, weird thing to get angry about. <laughs> I, yeah, like, what are you even talking about? Like, it. This the All-Star Game has never been a Lifetime Achievement Award. Like, if you want to make this argument, make it about the end of season awards and say, you know, if he would say this exact same thing and say, I think MVP voting should take place after the finals. So then we can really determine who the most valuable player was fine. That's, that's perfect. That makes perfect sense. Why nobody would argue with you on that saying that all-stars, you need to dip into the last year's playoffs to determine all-stars. Like, I'm sorry. No, this is not a legacy award. Like all-stars always been, who's been the best for the first half of this season and deserves recognition for it. Uh, you know, because a half a season of work is like, it's not nothing. Like, granted, this season it's 30 games or whatever uh, is the point that we're, you know, reaching this this time frame. But it's like, dude, shut up. Like, Randall's having a fantastic season. Levine, as much as, you know, I don't think I would want to give up the farm for Zach Levine. He's having an awesome season. Like, dude's scoring, like, almost 30 points a game. And, like, dishing out, like, over five assists. Like, come on. Shut up. Like, it, it's not... I don't know to say like, Oh, Jimmy Butler, who's played like seven games so far this year deserves a, an all-star nod because his team got to the finals last year in a bubble season when everything kind of had an asterisk anyway, shut up. Like of all the years to die on this Hill, this is not the year because the, the playoffs last year were not real playoffs. Like we could say all we want, you know, like, yes, there was still basketball played, and it was played by NBA rules and blah, blah, blah. But it was so different. You know, there was no home court advantage. There was no any of that. And it's it, last year's playoffs were not a normal playoffs. So even if his argument had any merit, which it doesn't, because the All-Star game is only based on the current season, not the last season. But, like, even if his argument did have any merit, it, you know, there was, like, Jamal Murray and Donovan Mitchell each scored 50 points more times than once in a playoff series in the same series during those playoffs. Prior to that, the only two players to ever have done that period in NBA history were Michael Jordan and Allen Iverson. Like there's no, it's just, it's stupid. So that's the first one. First rant over. Second one, our esteemed colleague, uh, Nate Duncan, who was on the show, like shout out to, Shout out to Nate, I guess, for that. Thanks for coming on our show once. But uh, so stupid. Would any of these East coaches rather have Randall and Vooch over Bam, Middleton, or Butler? On the other hand, I thought the West coaches did an awesome job this year. I would have had Conley over Mitchell, but that was razor thin. Again, what are we what are we asking here? Is this the is this the like who I want to build my team around game, or is this the all-star game? Like on top of it. No, I, I wouldn't take Jimmy Butler over Julius Randle at this point because Jimmy Butler's like 32 years old and Julius Randle's 26. He's not even in his prime yet. So stupid. Uh, Middleton is a guy that if you put Middleton in Julius Randle's shoes right now, again, the Knicks are probably like an eight-win team. Like he is not doing any – he he could never carry a team in the way that Julius Randle is carrying a team right now. And yet – you know, he's like, oh, would you rather Middleton or Randall? If you put Randall on the team with Giannis right now, they would do just as well. If not, it, maybe maybe even better to some degree. I, I can't substantiate that. But, like, Middleton's good. He's he's really good for that team and everything. But Julius Randall's a great player, too. Like, And I think that Julius Randall has a better individual impact on his team than Chris Middleton ever would. So, again... Stupid argument. Yes, I would take Julius Randle over Chris Middleton based exactly over how he's played this year. Bam Adebayo, maybe you've got like your point there. But, it, you know, if you're just looking at the hard numbers, they're pretty much equal-ish. And the Knicks are performing better, especially better than expected because Randle is killing it. And on top of it, you know, the Heat with just Adebayo were really bad. And then when... Jimmy Butler came back, they got better, you know, and they had other injuries and stuff they were dealing with too. But, you know, Adebayo by himself was not inspiring a ton of winning there. And once his like co-star came back, 
in Jimmy Butler, then they started winning a lot more games. So again, I, I am not with the belittling of uh, Julius Randle's accomplishments this year. I think that he's had a really, really good season. I think of all the players you could possibly bellyache about in the all-star game, like, I don't know, like bellyache about Ben Simmons, who's like in his fourth year in the NBA and is still shooting 17% from three and like not even looking at the three-point line. That guy's added nothing to his game. Like, I don't even know who else to bellyache about. I mean, Vucevic is having a really good year too in a similar way to Randall, but Vucevic is kind of in that, that boat of his team has been bad. So, you know, how much does he deserve recognition for that? But statistically, he's been dominant. Um, you know, he's been second to like nobody as far as centers are concerned. So just shut up with the belly aching. You don't always have to be mad about something. It's just idiotic. Anyway. All right. Uh, Gavin, should I, <laughs> should I take my first stab at, at granting a Michelob Ultra Player of the Week here? Or do you have, uh, do you have anything to add to my rant there? Sorry, I just kind of went bananas for a couple minutes no i I enjoyed it uh nothing to add all i'm gonna say is i think i think i can guess who your ultra player of the week is going to be can you really well let me tell you right now my chris middleton (laughs) my michelob ultra player of the week is jimmy butler i've never (laughs) doubted him i've long loved him (laughs) no my michelob ultra player of the week is julius randall yes you guessed it Julius Randle's an all-star. I know, you know, he got our first player of the week last week, but he's he deserves another one. He's an all-star and he deserves it. And just he's he's awesome. Uh, you know, it, I, I think that the big thing with Julius is like you could see the joy that he plays the game with. The big thing tonight was you could see the happiness on his face as he was, you know, first he addressed the crowd. They gave him MVP chance. That was really cool, you know, with the crowd being back at the garden. He had a nice video from his mom up on the Jumbotron. Um, You know, you could see the the happiness he was taking out of that. And you could just see the enjoyment that he plays the game with this year. You know, it's it's so much more than than we saw even last year when his body language was never as good, Um, you know, and all that. And, you know, just like with Michelob Ultra, enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. You know, and it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And Julius Randle clearly enjoys everything. Michelob Ultra, you know, if you want to enjoy it, it has just 2.6 carbs and 95 calories for every bottle. You're not going to find too much better there. Julius Randle's on a pretty strict diet, actually, I heard. So, you know, that's how he got into such good shape for this season. Maybe he could put back a couple Michelob Ultras. He had said he gave up alcohol mostly in some interviews said he just recently had his first glass of wine in a while. Maybe he could pick up a Michelob Ultra and continue enjoying himself and finding joy off the court as well as on the court. But the big thing with Julius Randle is, you know, and I think this applies to him, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy? And I think in the case of Julius Randle this year, he is winning because he's happy and, you know, that's – that's the way to be. That's the way to be. And that is why he is our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. Today on the Locked On Today podcast, Tiger Woods was hospitalized after a car crash early Tuesday morning. Host Peter Bukowski gives you the latest details. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with the Locked On Today podcast. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Hey, All get right. well soon, Tiger, yeah. man. I love Tiger Woods. I feel so bad for him. Yeah, just a, but, another yeah. another really bad break for him, but hopefully, um, hopefully he's back soon. Um, yeah. Alex, let's uh, let's keep it going with Julius Randle a little bit. I wanna I wanna look at this from kind of a, a team wide perspective because I, I I hinted at this take, but uh, during your rant, I, I fully I fully formed it. Um, I, I just I think this is a real a real player development win. For the Knicks and a, re- a reflection on Kenny Payne, and I don't know if that's actually reality because we re- we both read that great uh, Mike Vorkanov piece and had him on to talk about it. If you missed it, uh, go back and do it. Go back and listen to it to honor Julius Randle making the All Star game. Um, but we had Mike Vorkanov on to talk about it, and it seemed like most of the people getting mentioned that piece were uh, were not uh, Knicks coaches, and it seems like Randle mostly worked with his own trainers over the course of the off season. But just the I guess the 
the perception of this is going to be. Wow, Tibbs came in there with Kenny Payne, with Johnny Bryant, these two coaches who one was like a player development legend in the NBA, one a player development legend in the college ranks. And all of a sudden, Randall turns from this guy who um, is sort of like a quintessential, like good stats, bad team dude, to uh, a certifiable all-star who affects winning on a game-to-game basis on an extremely high level. And I think that's you're going to start getting a little bit more buy-in from some of the young stars around the league and saying, you know what, New York is a place that I can be. And in some ways, the all-star game, I mean, particularly this year, doesn't really matter. It's symbolic in a lot of ways. Like if you're one of the last guys to make it, like Randall, he's probably only going to play 12 minutes in the actual game. I think it's it's more about what he what it represents. And to me, it represents a success for New York. You combine that with what Emmanuel quickly has done for most of this year, excluding the last three games. You combine that with what R.J. Barrett has done for most of this year. You combine that with the steps forward. Mitchell Robinson has taken on defense. I, I just think it's it's going to become an environment that young guys want to be in. And, and then when Randall makes the All-Star game, it gives him a platform and a credibility that he didn't previously have. So when he goes on J.J. Reddick's podcast and he talks about, you know what, man, Tibbs, Tibbs gets a bad rep. Uh, that's, that, that's a guy I absolutely want in my foxhole and he's not, he's not the hard ass that everyone thinks he is. That, I think that, that carries weight. And obviously, you've had Jimmy Butler, you've had Derrick Rose say similar stuff in the past. So I don't know if he necessarily needed Julius Randle's endorsement. But it's just, it, it's, it's sort of a, a big checkmark, a big stamp of approval for the current Knicks regime. And I think it's, it might not pay dividends this summer, necessarily, but it's representative of the overall health of the franchise being in a place that it hasn't been in nearly two decades. So I, I think I think in some ways this is just kind of symbolic. In other ways, this is kind of the cherry on top of what the Knicks have done this season. I mean, this is the other thing, too, to consider. You know, a, a, another benefit of making the All-Star game is, and I mean, not to make this sound like a, like a, like a fresh out of college type shit, but... There's networking opportunities there, man. Like, I think a lot of star relationships and future seeds for, you know, future team-ups in the NBA are laid at the All-Star game and at USA Basketball. And Randall hasn't been a part of USA Basketball as far as I know. But the All-Star game is another place where, like, these guys at the top of the game come together they practice a little bit, but mostly they joke around. They have fun. They bask in the fact that they're all the best at what they do that given year. You know, and Randall is now a guy representing the Knicks on the biggest stage. You know, or, well, not the biggest stage. Obviously, the finals is the biggest stage. But, like, the the biggest stage for stars, you know, to all convene. Randall is there as, like, a representative for the New York Knicks now. And, you know, he's he's pretty well connected just by that, like, Kentucky brotherhood, you know, where he's got that going for him. Um, you know, he plays in the biggest market now. And now he has All-Star next to his name. And, you know, so I, there's certain guys that obviously I don't, I don't think it's going to have a bearing on. Like, okay, whatever. He's going to be there with the three Nets guys. They all kind of have their thing going on. It's going to be there with LeBron and AD or whatever. They're whatever. But like gets to go there with, say, for example, Kawhi Leonard, who could be a free agent as soon as as soon as this year, I think. But, you know, presumably could be a free agent any any one of a number of other times over the next few years, depending on how he decides to do his contract. You know, he's going to be in the room with him. He's going to be talking with him. He's going to be talking to uh, Levine, who's going to be a free agent at the same time that Randall is going to be. So if they decide that they want to team up in New York, that's a thing that could potentially happen. Um, He's going to be in the same room with Stephen Curry, who it sounds crazy, but Curry could be a free agent uh, summer after next. Again, same summer as Julius Randall. Maybe he looks at him and says, Hey, you could be my new Draymond green for the latter part of my career. Who knows? I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's a, it's a sure thing or something, or even that it's likely, but you never know. Like these relationships get formed in these games sometimes that then end up paying dividends down the line. We saw it happen with, um, with the, the heatles back in the day at uh, USA basketball. We saw it sort of happen with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Um, 
it was I think they're the way that the reporting said was their seeds were sort of planted at the All-Star or at a USA basketball as well. But then they famously talked at the All-Star game with Kyrie, you know, motioning to Durant and going two max slots, two max slots in the in the hallway before the game. And people assumed that he was talking about the Knicks. It turned out, I guess they were talking about the Nets at that time. If you believe KD's crock of crap that he was going to take the Nets all along. Um you know, it's an important thing. It's, you know, it's an underrated thing, but it's, you know, Julius Randle just got himself into a pretty elite club and it, it could potentially be something that uh, to your point, Gavin, you know, in addition to this goodwill that the Knicks are now building and, and you know, the rebuilding of the foundation of their reputation around the league, you know, it's, there's also this thing now where Julius Randle is in the room with a number of good players and being recognized, you know, by the the people of the league as one of the 24 best players in the whole NBA. Yeah, it's 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 monumental, Alex. I, I don't think I don't think it can really really be fully captured until a couple of seasons from now. And and it's on the Knicks to to use this momentum and springboard it and, and keep building on it and continuing to add talent. But it, it's it's a great first step, and it's one I never could have imagined. So. Congratulations to Julius Randle for being an all-star. Let's take one final break and then actually talk about, uh, nominally, what we're here to talk about, uh, Knicks-Warriors, which is not a very fun game. We'll be back with that in just a sec. But first, just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, and the new and improved Built Bar is even deliciouser. I can attest, man. It was delicious before. It is more delicious now. The Coconut Brownie Chunk Bar amazing it's got like the lightest fluffiest coconut filling with these nice little chunks of brownie on top all covered in chocolate it tastes literally just like a candy bar i would have no idea that it has 15 grams of protein in it and a minimal amount of calories minimal amount of sugar and everything else you would think that you're eating like straight up a a snickers bar and almond joy you name it it tastes like that uh, also had the the new crunchy built bars recently, and those are phenomenal. Had a crunchy peanut butter built bar, so good. That one had over twenty grams of protein. They packed even more protein into those bars, and you get almost like a like a Twix experience with that one, where it's got the the chewy filling, but with you know crunchy bits in it that sort of are almost like the the cookies in a Twix or something like that. And it was just super delicious. I guess it was kind of like a peanut butter Twix if I was going to nail it down since it's it was a peanut butter flavor inside, but totally phenomenal. You know, there's other great flavors with Built Bar too. They have 18 flavors available at all times in addition to their special edition flavors like the coconut brownie uh, flavor there. And, you know, some of my other favorites, I love cookies and cream. I love the coconut almonds. I'm a, I'm a big coconut guy. You know, it tastes like Almond Joy, the coconut almond bar. Super delicious. Uh, double chocolate for when I'm in that kind of mood, peanut butter brownie. There's just so many good flavors to pick from. Every Built Bar is covered in 100% natural chocolate, and they're soft and easy to chew. If I haven't gotten this across yet, they're like eating a candy bar without that candy bar guilt. That's because Built Bars are low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber. For example, one of my favorites, the Cookies and Cream Bar, has 17 grams of protein, just 130 calories, four grams of sugar, and four grams of net carbs. So if you're interested in picking up some Built Bars for yourself, which you can't tell, I would highly recommend, go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuiltBar.com. March Madness is a few months away, but the future of the NBA is on display right now. Get a head start on next year's draft analysis by subscribing to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board podcast. Boy, that rolls off the tongue. Draft guru Chad Ford, and our close personal friend, has his first Big Board of the Year out with profiles of Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, and much more. Subscribe to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. This keeps getting better every time I say it. Podcast, wherever you get podcasts. Again, that's Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. All right, Alex, third and final segment, Knicks Warriors. Um, I was, I think loving this game would be a little strong to say in the first half, but I was, despite the fact that like quickly was already struggling and, uh, Randall was having, like, it seemed like maybe the moment was, was catching up to him a little bit. Um, like they showed the video of his, uh, his mom 
congratulate him, which was, congratulating him, which was beautiful and inspired a, a somewhat lurid uh, Clyde comment, which we can we can say for the end. Um, but there was there was a lot of good vibes around Julius Randle, and I think I think that maybe threw him off his game a tiny bit in the early going. I say that as he finished the night with 25 points, 10 boards, seven assists. Uh, we noted it earlier, but RJ Barrett kind of sucked. Emmanuel quickly definitely sucked. Um, to be fair, RJ definitely sucked as well. But 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 uh, Derrick Rose was electric in the first half, and I was just I was loving the energy of having the fans back in the building. And, and you could, you could just sense the joy emanating from Mike Breen. Like he couldn't help himself every two minutes. He was like, Clyde, I, I know I keep saying it, but it just, it feels different here tonight. It's so cool to hear real people yell defense instead of a, a robo voice doing it over the PA. Um, so it was, it, it was fun. I thought the Warriors were a great opponent to have the return of fans, like something about like Steph Curry kind of brings out um, an opposing crowds, both like their vitriol, but also, sort of their childlike wonder at the game. It, it was just a fun, competitive back-and-forth game in the first half. In the second half, there were some good moments. It turned into a bit of a slog. But I'll throw it to you, Alex. Where, where do you want to start in all of that? I mean, we can start with our all-star, right? <laughs> Have yeah, we talked about him yet? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nate Duncan, Jesus. Why, why would he say that? Yeah, what the hell, Nate Duncan? He's... <laughs> <laughs> just, we're gonna have Nate Duncan back on, and he's gonna—it's gonna be like this will be the one episode of Locked On Knicks that he'd listen to, and he's gonna be like, "I'm never doing another show," <laughs> or he's gonna come on and be like, "I remember when you said that about me." Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, I thought Randall was probably the highlight of the game. Um, I, I guess we don't have to talk too much about it. It was just kind of like casual brilliance from him, like usual. Um, twenty-five points, ten rebounds, seven assists. I had no idea how close he was to a triple double, to be honest. Um, but I thought that he kind of had his way. He only shot eight of 21, but like it, it was just another really suspect officiating game where it just seemed like it seemed like the Warriors were allowed to play 90s defense on the Knicks inside, but the Knicks were getting called for like nothing uh, on the other end. Uh, it was just very uneven officiating, and I don't get it. So much so that Tibbs pulled the lead official aside after the game and like, I, to be fair, he wasn't yelling at him, but I mean, he was giving him a stern talking to. Like it looked like a, it, it honestly it looked almost like a high school coach, like like giving like a high school kid a stern talking to after a game, like for doing something wrong or whatever. Like he just pulled the ref aside and he was just giving him an earful, and the ref was like, you could tell was trying to be like, okay, Tom, thanks, bye. Okay, Tom, okay, okay, okay. But Tibbs just kept being like, no, 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 like you got to listen to this. And like, just going over all the, he probably had like a Rolodex of all the calls in his head that he thought were bad throughout the game. Yeah. And just wanted to unload the clip. I, I know, um, I know they're, I know they're getting tested every day, but I, I empathize with the refs to some extent where like, I just don't want someone screaming in my face during a pandemic. So I, I, I think Tibbs kept the mask on. I oh, think. He did? Okay. All right. Okay. Then I, I think he kept the mask on during that. So I don't think it was over his nose, but he at least wasn't speaking at the dude yeah um but yeah and not to not to turn into a ref thing like the knicks certainly could have helped themselves out by shooting better than you know 39 percent overall from the field that would have been really helpful um they did shoot like almost 38 percent from three which would have surprised me if you would if you had like covered my eyes from the box score and said what do you think the knicks shot from three i would have been like i don't know like five for 30 or something yeah like, same good. i was i saw that too and i was shocked yeah, but uh, anyway, it, it was, you know, Randall had a great game. Alfred Payton, I thought, surprisingly, and you noted this on Twitter too, um, you know, I thought he actually had a pretty good game. He, the, the Knicks were on the verge of getting themselves blown out in the third quarter. Um, they got outscored by the Warriors 39-26 to 26 that quarter, so I guess they did sort of get blown out, but they had had a lead prior to that, um, you know, going into halftime, and so you thought, like, okay, you know, they'll come out of half and they'll be in good shape. They were, at one point, it looked like the game was about to get away from them. And then Peyton managed to make a few plays where when nobody else could create a damn thing, he managed to get inside and get some buckets um, or, you know, hit some people with some passes to to get a bucket or two. It was, you know, it was a good performance for Peyton through most of it. Towards the end of the game, I got a little frustrated because it hit crunch time and when crunch time hits defense is tighten up and they're not going to allow Alfred Payton to just get inside for a, a bucket anymore. And yet Alfred was still just kind of doing his thing and being like, there was, I think at least two possessions where nobody touched the ball, but him. 
and that's unacceptable. Like there can't be Alfred Payton solo possessions ever. Um, he's got to at least pass the ball once. Like you gotta, you, you know, you gotta give a little to get a little if you're Alfred Payton. So I, uh, I was not in love with how he finished the game, but he did play well. And then, as you said, Derek Rose was like a ball of energy. He was defending his ass off. He was like, you know, the Knicks start off kind of sluggish in this game too. Like they were down 36, 31 after the first quarter, but they realistically could have been down about like 15 points after the first quarter, I think. And definitely could have been down in the second quarter, but Rose just came in and like, like played his ass off, was hustling all over the place, was passing really well, which was good. We were kind of talking about, you know, last couple games about him, him being a little too tunnel visiony, and uh, uh, save for a few possessions in this game, I really don't think that he did too much of that in this one. And go figure, his box score numbers were much better. So, um, yeah, I, I liked his game a lot too. I'll throw it back to you though. I mean, I I also enjoyed Obi in this game and Taj Gibson, um, but I don't know if there are any other guys that that stood out to you too. Yeah, I thought um, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll re go over some of the guys you were talking about. I, I I said it. I thought the first quarter was was the best quarter I've seen from Alfred Payton this entire season. And a normal I might have a mental block where I'm only like half watching him to maintain my sanity on most nights. So so maybe I've missed something. Uh, apologies to Elf if if that's the case. But he was awesome. Like it, it just always feels like what frustrates me so much about him is his. I, I can't even when I'm talking good about him, I'm talking badly. <laughs> what normally frustrates me so much about him is like it just seems like his battery is always on low like he didn't, he didn't get his coffee that day like he needs a snickers or something you know what no he needs a built bar or something um and he's just like out of it and it's just like playing like very low key like occasionally we'll rev it up for a drive occasionally we'll rev it up for one defensive possession but normally it's just like doesn't seem a hundred percent engaged and tonight like the switch was on it's like someone told him like championship is on the line uh this is this is to uh, keep the Looney Tunes from being enslaved on Moron Mountain. Like everything, everything is a go for this one game, and and he, and he revved it up, and he played hard, and and he's a fun player when he plays hard because he's so good at getting into the lane. Like he's actually like we we as I talked about Benji, like we never get to see it, um, in in general, but he was good in transition. He's a weapon in transition when he's when he's really pushing the pace because he's quick, he's fast, he has a nice handle, he's good around the rim. Um, Sorry, I'm losing my voice. That's what happens when I talk uh, well about Alfred Payton. But he was he was really really good. Um, and yeah, and then Derrick Rose uh, came in and was was incredible. So made his first four shots, had ten points, four assists in like I think his first eight minutes of action. And then the rest of the game, I did not love the rest of the night from him. Like and to some degree, like the rest of the team was so inefficient. Like I was okay with him chucking up some shots, but he was really forcing it around the rim. And there were there were still like a few too many of those those tunnel vision plays for my liking. Like he had one where he looked off. Um, I think it was granted quickly. Wasn't having a great night, but quickly was like wide open for three and Rose just kind of looked him off. Oh no, here's what it was. Um, Obi set a screen for, for Derek. And I was like, Oh, finally, we're going to get Obi rolling to the basket, which he, even on a night when he played 13 minutes, I don't, I can't remember rolling to the basket once. Um, and instead of just running the pick and roll, which I was just dying to see is like Derek Rose, Obi top and just an athletic mismatch. Uh, Rose rejects it, goes left, and just takes like a 19-foot pull-up with someone in his face. And there's just there's I, I think that's the that's really the only thing at this point in his career that's keeping Derrick Rose from being a guy that playoff teams were competing for. And maybe you, you could say Lucky Knicks, they got him on the cheap. But the one thing that keeps him from being a guy that playoff teams wanted is he still takes a couple of those shots every game. And there's still a small part of him that says, you know, I was the MVP one time and I'm gonna go and show it every single game. And I don't want that to diminish the good stuff. Like he had some dirty layups in this game. He beat Steph Curry for a really nice one in the closing seconds of the first half. The the block on the corner three that I think it was, I can't remember if it was Baysmore or Wiggins. It was one of the worst, or it was Damian Lee um, shooting in the fourth quarter where like Rose like covered up inside and then sprinted out to go get to it. That was an incredible play. He was far from the Knicks' biggest issue tonight, but there's just enough there that you, you kind of, I, I'm starting to get the full feel. I'm starting to get the full picture with Derrick Rose. I'm starting to get like when we had Matt on from Locked on Pistons, why he was cautioning me a little bit, like don't get too excited from these first couple of games. When the shot starts falling, it's going to be a little bit less exciting. And and I'm, I'm there with him now. Obi, I thought was, this was one of his better games all season, seven points, two boards, a steal and a block and had one of the better defensive plays and, and sequences that any Nick has had all season when, um, when Bazemore was driving and, and Toppin just stuck with him 
and, and just kind of held onto the ball. And Bazemore was about to travel. Eventually, just had to kind of let it go. Obi took it, passed it ahead, uh, showed off his like freakish end-to-end speed. Which, if you're looking for like a real athletic trait from Obi outside of his vertical leap, that's it. His ability to just run the length of the court um, like a gazelle. And Burks threw him like a crazy alley-oop. I thought it was another, even though he didn't shoot that well, I thought it was another pretty good Alec Burks game. He really held that second unit together. Great lob to Obi. Obi goes up over two defenders, flushes it down. Um, also hit a big three off like this key sequence where like Burks like beat his man off a of Hezzy on the left side, whipped it into the corner, uh, quickly like caught it kind of off balance, ricocheted over to Rose. Rose dribbles into the lane, kick out to Obi, back on the left wing. Obi nails a three. And I, I didn't really have a ton of confidence it was going to go in, but then I was like, you know what? He's pretty in rhythm, and he just drained it. Uh, Alex, I've, I've somewhat exhausted the positive stuff. I, like you, was thrilled with Taj Gibson's night. 11 boards in 24, in 24 minutes. Uh, hit four big free throws down the stretch. Has a stunning amount of defensive mobility for someone his age. Like I'm, I'm genuinely uh, really, really impressed by that at this point in his career. And I, I, would, I would not have thought that he retained that. Like He's a guy who... Maybe more so than like someone like Austin Rivers who were like, oh, this dude's going to be like playoff team bait. I think Taj Gibson can be on the floor in the playoffs with how smart he is and how good he is defensively. Um, but I, I'll leave it to you, Alex, to talk about the disappointments. R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, just horrible nights for both of them. Uh, who do you want to start off with? Oh, gee, you left me with all the fun stuff. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'll just say with Taj too, like he – isn't as flashy as Noel, but I very much enjoy it. Like Noel nominally had a quote unquote more exciting night with eight points, five rebounds, a steal, three blocks. Like, so he got the counting stats, but like I found Gibson's game to be so much more aesthetically pleasing in this game. Granted he had his issues with finishing around the rim too and stuff, but he's just a better rebounder. He's more fundamentally sound to your point. He, he has more mobility than he has any business having for being as old as he is. But yeah, if we're talking about the disappointments, so I guess I'll do quickly first, because I don't know if you feel this way, but quickly, it just seems so RJ's night was more frustrating to me. Um, And nights like this for RJ are more frustrating to me than anything that quickly could do, because with quickly, it seems like the big thing lately is he's just kind of hit the rookie wall as far as confidence is concerned. Like he's going through his first pro slump. And now, you know, he's just, he's kind of, he's kind of afraid of the ball. Like, I think, I think it was actually Colin for uh, the Strickland tweeted that out on our account tonight. He's just like, like IQ is afraid of the ball right now. And that happens sometimes, you know, that happens to especially rookies, you know, where you're slumping and then you start doubting everything. And even for a guy like quickly, whose whole game is based on, you know, intense amounts of repetition and stuff. You know, even his his floater hasn't been dropping lately and his, you know, his three is now not falling as much. And I'm sure it's kind of shaking his confidence to some degree. Um, So, you know, he's just slumping a little bit and that's fine and it happens. But all in all, he played the game about how I'd want him to other than being a little too tentative, which it just he can't be tentative because his game is built around, you know, it's successful when he's aggressive. Um, So that's why he got pulled. That's why he only played 13 minutes. RJ, on the other hand, I guess is sort of like the opposite end of that spectrum where RJ also couldn't hit anything in this game, but I thought he was forcing it too much. Like he took nine shots in this game, and I honestly think that was about six shots too many. Um, you know, there was one wide open three that he got at one point that he he didn't make, if I'm not mistaken. He made another one. So probably like those two and maybe one of his other shots were the only ones that I really thought he should have taken. But like one moment stands out to me, you know, at a somewhat key juncture of the game, he was bringing it down, you know, in, on a fast break in a key moment. And the Knicks either had a, a three on one or a, a pretty distant three on two. Like the second defender wasn't really in too much of a position to affect too much. And RJ was driving down. It was RJ and Rose leading the pack. And then Randall was trailing. And it's just, you know, I know RJ's smart enough to know when there's a trailer or to know to look for a trailer. But he didn't. He drove in. He was going right into the T. I think it was like Ubre maybe was the defender. Or maybe it was Wiggins. Was driving right into, you know, this defender. Did give a nice little, you know, head fake, ball fake a little bit to Rose, who was to his right. 
to kind of draw the defender's eye a little bit, but he was already like in the defender's chest when he did that. And so then the, the move that he should have made was, you know, slow himself up so as not to get called for a charge and then look behind him for the trailer and hit Randall. And which I'm sure that he had to know that Randall was behind him in some way, shape or form. And if he didn't, then that's just lack of awareness on that play. But, you know, instead of doing that, he goes up for it and he did get a foul call, but then he only makes one or two free throws. And, you know, again, it's, it's only a one point swing there, you know, would have been two points for Randall or, or, you know, what ended up being one point for RJ, but it was just kind of, that was kind of a microcosm of a lot of what I felt we saw in this game where I just think he's, uh, RJ does occasionally, you know, and we saw this during his first slump as well. It, very rarely, like normally he plays pretty within himself, but this time around, you know, in this particular game, he was forcing it too much and he was just taking bad shots as a result. And so I didn't like it, you know, it granted some of it too, you know, maybe you could argue a couple times he got close to the rim. He wasn't getting calls either, but it, it's also part of the NBA game to learn, like, if you're not getting calls, stop trying it, you know, stop driving into traffic. If the refs are calling a, a fairly tight game, you know, like, or I guess a loose game, I guess you would call that where they're not calling too many fouls, you know, for your team, then, you know, don't try to go to that over and over and over again, if you know that you're not going to get the call. So I don't know. It's all just recognition things for RJ and granted, like I say all this and he's still, he's still the youngest player on the team. You know, so he's still only 20 years old. He's not going to turn 21 until like late June, I think, or something. So, you know, he's he's got time. You know, we still got time for him to get better and everything. But there's just certain recognition things I think need to get better in his game. And this was just sort of like a showcase of that. Yeah, I'm in I'm in total agreement. I thought um, for anyone who, who uh, read uh, today's Knicks Film School newsletter, uh, Macri uh, broke down RJ and it was it was cool to watch the game having just read that article and I, I was noticing just some of the weak points he's he's been putting out there and RJ's been in a real slump pretty much this entire season passing the basketball um, only at three assists per game and at times it feels like he's not even like generating that many or at least like not a ton of them like come out of like his own like ability to draw deep defenders and draw gravity. They're more so like just within the flow of the offense um, or, or pick and rolls with Mitch and, and without Mitch in there, I think that weakness is really getting exposed right now. And you're not seeing him make some of those really like high level reads he was making um, late last year. And particularly um, at the, at the beginning of this season. And like, you, you can go back and like Macri does it in, in the article, you can go back to that Pacers game and he's like drawing a double team and then throwing like a hook pass, like 15 feet on, on a dime to the opposite corner. And and that's what got us so excited about him early this year. And now time and time again, you're seeing him like look off. Like he had, he had one play where he had Noel just like wide open under the basket and instead he was like, you know what, I'm just going to go one-on-one and sprint to the rim and try and try and force this force this layup in because I, I got to get myself going. And, and, and he missed it. And, and that was, I thought, sort of emblematic of, of everything you said and, and ultimately a very, very tough night for R.J. Barrett. And look, I don't want to overreact. He's coming off three straight good games, but he's just he's – a, he, he's very frustrating to watch at times. You see the flashes and you see what's good about him, but – I don't know about you. I always have like I always have nagging doubts with him. Not not that he'll be a solid player, but just like you, you just want him to be a star so so badly. Given the pedigree, given who went ahead of him, given where the Knicks drafted him, you, you're you're dying for to see that that flash of like this guy's going to be an all star. To your point, he's 20. He's not turning 21 for four months. We can slow the brakes a little bit on talking about his ultimate like his ultimate future. But I, I really hope in the second half of the year we see him kind of put together all the good bits and pieces of his game. Uh, that was that was the last thing I had uh, on the actual game, Alex. I want to I want to quickly mention that, that just insane uh, Clyde quote. Unless you have anything else first. Oh my God! Yeah, I know exactly which one you're which one you're talking about too. And I have a I have a thing to remind everybody of of why they shouldn't have been surprised, but I'll let you introduce the moment that you want to introduce here. All right. So Julius Randall's mom, uh, she gets on MSG. She gets on the big screen at the garden 
Uh, Julius, by the way, a- adorable smile on his face. I- I'm in love with Julius Randall, the human being, after listening to him on the JJ Reddick podcast. Just seems like such a genuinely, like, earnest, like, good, like, confident, but humble, but hardworking, like everything you want in in a superstar. Um, Anyways, his mom, who also seems like a delight. And I remember um, just listening to him on the podcast, like his his mom had like some great, like motivational quotes from when he was younger. And she seems, seems like a real go-getter, great basketball parent, great personality. Um, And uh, he, she, she gives him like this, like 40 second, like, congratulations, keep working hard talk, really earnest, really heartfelt. And, And Clyde's only reaction to it is quote, Oh, wait, it's loading. It's loading. Mom looks like his sister. Mom looks very young. <laughs> Clyde Frazier, 2021. Yeah. It was wild. <laughs> it was amazing. I mean, Clyde is just, he's like a foxy grandpa, man. Uh, you know, the reason that nobody should be surprised by that, though, I don't know if you remember this. We definitely talked about it on a podcast when it happened because it was funny then, too. He did the same thing with Trier's mom. When Alonzo Trier's mom was at the game the one time, he made a comment and literally used the exact, maybe this is like Clyde's pickup line, because he, he made the exact same comment. He said, wow, Mike, that looks like looks like Trier's sister, not his mother, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and it was like the exact same scenario, except for obviously this time, uh, you know, Randall's mom was video conferencing in rather than just sitting in the stands, but you know, maybe maybe Clyde just has a thing for moms of the players, I guess. I don't know. But it was funny. It was it was I mean, I just I love Clyde so much. I love all those quotes. Yeah, what if, what uh, if like Clyde hooking up with players' moms has been like the real point of Nick's instability for the last twenty years that has just never leaked out of MSG because Dolan has just like buried like reporters like under the arena who <laughs> Oh my god. Like it's like the I mean not to <laughs> Not to make light because of his recent struggles, but it's like the it's like the Delonte West and LeBron's mom. No. <laughs> it's just it's just like every year, like he picks out a player and like he lets them know like early in the season it's gonna happen and he's and they're like, Clyde, you're like thirty years older than her. And Clyde's like, well, yeah. let's just see what happens. And then <laughs> and then that guy uses the uses the classic Matthew McConaughey scumbag quote, but considering it's uh considering they're all, you know, adults, he goes he, you know, I keep getting older, but the players' moms stay the same age. Oh, <laughs> Again, this is why we always tell people the podcast peaks fifty-seven minutes in. <laughs> yeah, we really we we've been on a roll with the the last like three minutes, the last like couple episodes. Yeah, we, in the the money spot. We might have to start just cutting it and putting the end at the front. But anyways, that's a that's a conversation for another day. Believe the conspiracy, don't believe the conspiracy. When Clyde comes on for episode a thousand, we will we will certainly ask him about it.